Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you and joining us from Sky Sports. Mr. Rugby over there, Ross Carl. How are you doing, Ross? Very well, yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good, good. Uh, we got a, an email today that no doubt you've been pouring over. In fact, you probably got it well before I got it, but we've been pouring over about uh, new interpretations of the laws, new ways that uh, the game is going to be refereed coming into the Super Rugby season. So I thought who better to get on than uh, the man that's involved from all angles, not only as a journo, but also from a broadcast point of view. Can maybe talk through some of these things and how we think it might affect the game. Sure thing. All right, mate. Well, let's start off. Uh, it's, it looks like pretty much all these laws are about speeding the game up, right? Yeah. That's essentially it. We noticed last year that games are running 10, sometimes 15 minutes longer than the 80 minutes of scheduled play because of stoppages and these things carrying on, shots at goal, time taken for lineouts, et cetera. So I think everyone at that point last year, the fans probably, you know, the players, um, NZR, Sky, I think we all realised that, hey, this is something that needs to speed up a little bit. This game needs to flow. You know, people always talk about rugby league and how quickly rugby league flows. We need to make sure that we're keeping the game going and that the delays don't carry on and on and on. Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, we'll go through them all, but one of the ones that stood out to me is the TMO process around yellow cards. They're changing how that's going to work. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so essentially the referee will make the decision if it's, you know, a yellow card, okay, you're off. But then instead of talking to the TMO and going through it play by play by play over and over again and slowing down the game, which was a, a regular complaint, I think. Uh, I mean, it obviously came with a lot of drama and it's an important part of the game because it can change the entire game very, very quickly when you have a red card or a yellow card. And I think we saw even on the weekend in the Six Nations between Ireland and France, one person didn't get a yellow card, uh, got a yellow card when we thought it should have been a red um, so, you know, those kind of things can, can change a game so quickly and who will win and lose. So it's important that you get the right decision, but it's also important that the game doesn't just stop. So to answer your question, <laughs> um, you give a yellow card. Okay, that's fine. The referee carries on with the game. The player goes off. During that 10 minutes that the player is off, the TMO will then look at it over and over again and do it without us having to watch it every single time. Make a decision. Okay, no, it's fine. It's a yellow card. Well, the game carries on and we don't have to worry about what the TMO thinks. If it's a red card, the TMO will then decide, okay, it's time to change this. At the next stoppage in play, from what I understand, what will happen is the referee will get told by the TMO, actually, I'm turning this into a red card, at which point the two captains will be called over and then told what the decision is. We'll obviously get probably a couple of little replays at that same time so you can see why that decision was made and then the game will carry on so it'll just be a much quicker process than it has been will it happen the other way around say the referee sees a high shot that he thinks is a, a straight red and he gives a red play carries on does the tmo then go look at it and go actually you might have got you might have pulled the trigger too fast do we come back and change it to a yellow 
I had only looked at it the other way. I would imagine um, that that could be the case. You know, yeah. you want to get it right, and maybe they'll pull them back and say, "Hey, we got it wrong this time. If you're going to go one way, you got to go the other." Right. Yeah, totally. Now, something we have seen pleased a bit, um, and I think it varies competition to competition, is the goal kicking. And yes. they've, they've, they've put a, a definite stopwatch on that. Uh, I think it's 90 seconds to kick a conversion from the time the try is scored and 60 seconds since uh, from the time a penalty is given as well. Um, that will be interesting given, I guess, you know, getting the truck on the field with the little T on the back of it and, and all those kind of variables that might, might play into it. Absolutely. The post-try celebrations, all those things tend to carry on. I suppose that's the difference between the 90 and the 60 seconds for the two different ones. But yeah, again, just speeding it up. No one wants to sit there waiting for a kicker to look back and forth at the posts for 60 seconds before finally having a crack. You know, that that's not part of the entertainment of the game. Really, that needs to hurry up. And so it's good to have that in play. You know, as far as I think that is going to be something that's part of the game, you, the, the referee will be counting that. You won't necessarily have a, 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 you know, a countdown on the television screen. The referee will be counting that because it's on done on official time, if you know what I mean. So you'll then see it that way um, when the referee says, no, you haven't made it. Yeah. Uh, for, and and then, uh, sorry, we should go back to TMO interruption is going to be restricted to serious, clear and obvious dangers. So um, does that mean our, our good friend over in Australia who's uh, uh, who tends to sit there and get involved regardless of what because he wants to be in the spotlight himself uh, is probably going to be a bit more redundant, shall we say? Are we talking about Eddie Jones? <laughs> well, no, I was talking, his name escapes me at the moment, actually. But who's the Aussie referee who's often sat in the, uh, in the TMO box and, and just gets oh, involved for no reason that, you can possibly see yeah yeah look, I, I that's i think that's the thing with the tmos it's about the referee being empowered to call on the tmo as opposed to the tmo going hey this is the problem here because that slowed the game down and also i think it's undermined the referees you know it's good to see them as a team but in the end there's one bloke in the middle who is in charge of that game and that person's got to be empowered for the pace of the game and the decisions made in the game and he can search for help when he wants to yeah yeah 100 um i kept going to abdo but i don't think that's right but there we go uh yeah eddie jones though yeah the less we have him involved the better too i think uh, that's a that's a whole nother story um cal we we also um should talk a bit about um the kicking from well not just the kicking but the ruck speed too because rucks are being changed and if the first thing i don't know about you the first thing i thought was ball's got to be used within five seconds of a ruck being formed i was just like oh man what is, you know, what are the South African and English halfbacks going to do? Because they, they pride themselves in taking at least half an hour to, to box kick. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that changes the tempo of the game, won't it? And, and the options around them, instead of having forwards piling back in a caterpillar in a ruck. Mm. So a halfback, especially for South Africans, love that. The halfback's got space and can make this kick with zero pressure. And we, we see the difference between the quality of a kick when... You've got that kind of space based on the caterpillar formation, and when you've got people able to punch into the ruck from the opposition and get to hit on the player in front of the halfback, which therefore pushes the halfback back, and those kind of things, you know, it really makes a difference to the quality of the kicking game. And the quality of the kicking game relies on slower play from a Springbok point of view in a lot of ways. And if we want to see a faster game, that's not necessarily want to see. We want to see, I suppose, competition for the ball. Yeah. That's what rugby is about. It's not about protecting yourself from the opposition. It's about 
taking on the opposition. So I think that brings that physical element back into it, which is really great. And I, I think that it should definitely help some of the people receiving high balls against teams who are known for that because the attacking team putting up the kick aren't probably going to be as organized with their chase as they would have been if they've had the ability to have that long formation. But I feel like this has been talked about before after the 2011 World Cup, because I can remember at the time there being a news piece where they talked about how many times the All Blacks would have lost the ball in the last 10 minutes of the game against France because they delayed the ball at the back of the scrum. It was multiple. So it, it has been looked at over the last decade or so as a good innovation for the game. But I don't think it's ever properly been enforced because it's been seen as a fairly low priority, I think, in an amount amongst the concussion talk and all that mm. kind of stuff, which has been seen as the key priority recently, the danger in play and not so much that element of it. But, we, you know, we, we can see that the dangerous part of the game is something that we just have to live with and gonna have to work with. But really, I think the key issue for rugby from a... Um, I suppose a PR point of view and from selling the game point of view is you've got to get that speed back. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. What do you think it's going to mean then for, for the referees too? Because obviously if you're going to speed up, you're going to tell the halfback, you need to use the ball faster. You've got to make sure that the ball is coming out clean. Right. So does that mean, I don't know, does the referee have to change how he stands, where he stands, his positioning, things like that, what he, what he's looking at? I'd imagine so. Um, uh, I'm sure Ben, I can give you a better answer to that than I can. But, you know, I suppose that will give them less time to get set and they might rely a little bit more on their TMOs for some, not their TMOs, from the ARs for yeah. a little bit of advice where necessary on what's going on and around those rucks and malls. Yeah. But, yeah, look, I, I think that certainly the referees would probably appreciate a faster game and appreciate being given a little bit more impetus to follow through on the decisions they make. It's almost like, Ross, they, they, you know, they're called rucks. They should maybe allow rucking. That might, <laughs> might, might, might help. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a Jamie Joseph style ruck in a modern game of rugby? <laughs> I don't know. You can remember those pictures back in the day when Sean Patrick would come off the field and they'd show these pictures of the spring marks Much. down the back and you know, these huge welts and blood. Are you, are you saying that, that that Fitzy would lie on the lie, lie on the ball? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he never cheated. There's nothing about anything he did as cheating. Um, yeah, look, I. It'll be interesting to see whether if they did bring something like that back, it would work. Um, it might speed up the game and the line on the ball. Um, but like <laughs> in, a, in a world where, you know, danger and not looking like you're bringing people into physical harm unnecessarily is concerned, uh, rucking would definitely be on the unnecessary acts of violence <laughs> level of the game. Yeah, well, I get, you know, that, and that's the hard thing, isn't it? Because it's it can be tough at speed to differentiate stamping from rucking. And, mm. I, and I understand why it's been taken out of the game. But it certainly caused rugby a lot of headaches when they banned rucking. Uh, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how it affects the game now with that five-second rule and the way that the speed allows players to fly in and maybe affect the halfback. They're going to have more chances to do that, but we've also seen in recent years players coming in from the side, coming in off their feet, and they're often the biggest culprits for the things that cause concussion. It's the players who don't see someone coming who get who often get the worst concussions more than a player who's being tackled who can get ready for that impact and knows that they've got a tackle coming at them. Sometimes it's not done well and you get a head on head clash and you know you end up with the HIAs, etc. But that's one of the most dangerous parts of the game. Mm. And by allowing the halfbacks to be more open to having people come in, 
it'll be interesting to see whether players come up with new ideas and new ways of, of coming in and doing that safe or unsafe. Yeah, to be honest, the thing that I, I think may happen, and I'm no uh, rugby genius, tactical genius, but it seems to me that the best way to get the ball out quicker is to maybe have your halfback and your first five either side of the ruck, and it's actually your seven, your your old fetcher that is the one that's distributing out the back of the ruck. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting because it's often the second player at the ruck now that is picking up the ball as far as a turnover is concerned. So, you know, more often than not, you know, you're finding that's the case. If we don't have old-fashioned fetches now, like a Richie McCaw who makes a tackle, gets their feet and, and does it that way. So having a forward who arrives later um, with that idea of being the person clearing the ball is, is not uncommon because mm. not every halfback gets to every ruck. You know, and then those forwards definitely have those skills and the way that they operate within the pods now, you often see people with high distribution stats. Sam Kane has some of the highest passing stats around outside of um, halfbacks because of the way that the Chiefs use them for the passing in and around the pod plays. So there are players who can do that very, very effectively and maybe it's time to start using them like that. Are you saying that we might end up in a rugby league um, six and seven position where you have playmakers running left and right? Yeah, potentially, yeah. And and, and then you, whoever it is, whether it's your Dane Coles or your Kieran Reeds or whoever, you know, it, it is that player um, is almost NFLing it just over the play and through the legs to whoever's behind them to just to, to pick the, the, the speed of the game up. Yeah, yeah. The Brumbies used to do that quite well in their heyday in the late 90s, early 2000s. They almost didn't take contact, did they? Mm. They went to ground before the contact came and then their blowout came really, really quickly. And it didn't really matter who was behind. You could just get the ball going because of the way that they created that efficient cycling of the ball by not really being as physical as other teams. And you put them on the back foot by not putting them on the back foot, if you know what I mean. Um, so it would be interesting to see whether that kind of thing can come into play now. From a, uh, I, I guess, a work point of view for you, you know, as, uh, looking after rugby content at Sky, does that change how, you know, you talk to your broadcast teams, the guys on the sideline, the guys in the box, etc. Does that change when you do the breakaways now, given we've got these changes to the game? Have, have they got less time so they, they have to be snappier? I mean, have, is that something you've talked about? Uh, yeah, look, so Marcus Kennedy is the man who handles the uh, the rugby live stuff. I, I do the, the content that's pre-recorded. Um, so certainly at the start of the year, we've even got one um, coming up this week. We have a big forum where we get in all of our pundits and our commentators and people involved in the game production and we get them together and we have a big forum. We get the referees in to talk about the changes in the rules. We look at the things we want to do differently within the broadcast. You know, we talk about all those kind of things like we're currently going through prep where they're going through uh, Pacifica and Māori pronunciation courses. We do all sorts of refresher courses like that in the lead up to the season. And part of it every year is what are the new rules going to be? How is that going to affect the way that we do it? Um, so last year, I'm sure you would have noticed we brought in a, um, a little graphic at the bottom to do with any of the new rules. Mm. So whenever something happened um, that aligned with a new rule, it would pop up on the bottom and you basically have some bullet points. This is what this rule means. So then punters could hear the ref make the call. The rule pops up on the graphic and you go, okay, I get this now. You know, so we've been doing that now and I presume that we'll just pass that over into this year as well with the new things to explain those laws. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, is there, 
I, I look at it and I don't see any negatives in, in these changes that they've made. I mean, anything that speeds up the game is a good thing. I think, are you overall pretty happy with what you've seen? Yeah, look, I think it's great. I think the key things that we talked about last year were the pace of the game and they've, you know, gone and changed them. The referees have worked with the Players Association, worked with the broadcaster, and we've all spoken about the things that are important to us and important to the fans. And in the end, it's about making an entertaining product in a world where you can watch Netflix, you can watch whatever the hell you want, um, you know, and we need to be entertaining. It needs to be an entertainment product, and that requires the best parts of rugby, which from a Kiwi and Australian point of view is pace and scoring tries. That's what Kiwis and Australians want to see. Yep. So we try to do that and, and make that happen. So, yeah, look, I, I think in the most part, I think they're really good. I think the only one that I kind of raised my eyebrows about was the halfbacks not being allowed to go within a metre of the um, of the attacking halfback. The defensive halfback isn't anymore allowed to compete, I suppose, where the ball is being released under number eight's foot and put pressure on the halfback there. That's the only one I'm 50-50 I'm on. And I think that's, while it does speed up the game, I also think that rewarding a strong scrum is an important part of rugby. Um, and so often you see now the set piece is so key. It's almost gone back old school where line-out dominance and scrum dominance is the key to setting up your game. Um, and I, I like that part of rugby. I think that's important. I think it's important that one through eight get rewarded like that. Um, so to me, that's the only one I'm kind of 50-50 on. Um, but I think the rest are all really cool rules. Is there anything that you're surprised they haven't looked at? Or they, they maybe not looked at because it's hard to say what they did and didn't, but they haven't acted on? I, look, I think that you've got to go one step at a time. Like mm. You've got to look at what your priority is. And rugby alters its rules every year. And it doesn't just alter its rules. It alters it within competitions. You'll have different rules for test matches and different rules for you know, provincial competitions and there are trial laws through lower level provincial competitions. It can be quite confusing for a fan, game on game on game, to understand the innovations in the laws or how the interpretation at this level of the game is slightly different. You know, the 20 minute red cards and all those kind of things, which can be different across competitions. So for me, I think it's most important that you find something that needs to be fixed, like the pace of the game, and you hit that hard in one season and go, okay, we've fixed that. And then you move on to the next part. Because if you do too many of them, it's already confusing enough. And now people are looking at a million different things they don't understand. If all they have to understand is the game is going to be faster and we're doing it this, 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 and this way, that's the message to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if there is one thing that you would address, maybe the next thing that you would address, what would it be? <sighs> oh, goodness me. Um, the next thing that I would address... I like the changes that have been made in recent times with the, um, you know, the the fifty twenty twos and all those kind of things. I think they've been good for the game. Um, I think most of the things that they've changed, they've got right. I, I do think that there's room to find a better way in and around the head clashes and the technique areas. I, you know, the the idea of the tackle height, and I know that on sends people have talked about it a lot, the tackle height and and how that works. I I'm not sure we've got that right. Um, I don't think you can ever quite get it right because rugby is a confrontational game where people are going to get knocked out here and there, you know, and that's, it's like being a boxer. You sign up to a certain amount of it. You understand what the risk is and not that we don't want to reduce the risk, but you know, that is an element of the game. It's a contact sport. It just is. So yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder about how we do that. If it reduces it to the waist, 
I don't know whether that's the answer. I think from the stats that I've seen, um, basically you reduce it to the waste. You don't necessarily reduce the number of concussions. You only reduce the people who are getting, you change where the concussions are being had. So mm -hmm. suddenly it goes that the tackler is the person who's more likely to be concussed and the person being tackled is less likely to be concussed. And there've been a number of studies that have gone into that in the UK at lower levels, admittedly, than you know top level rugby. But I, I just wonder about all of that. I, I do feel like when they talked about the nipple height, I felt like that was fair. That was, you know, when we look at the way the players can offload, you know, it makes it quite difficult in a tackle if if you can't tackle up here. And certainly with the importance of dominance and within tackling, and that's the only way that you can really get turnovers and really put pressure on the opposition, suddenly it makes it quite difficult to defend. And maybe some people like that. Maybe we'll end up like late 90s super rugby where there are just high scores left, right and centre. And But I think what people prefer to see is you know, enough tries to be interesting, but close enough that it's a competitive game. You know, like the confrontational nature is important um, to rugby and you want to see that that one-on-one -on -one battle and you don't want to see it lopsided. You know, you, you don't want it to be Waka Yunus versus Blair Larson. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to Blair Larson, but, you know, it, it needs to be even. Um, so... Yeah, to me, that's probably the thing where I don't have the answer for what they should do, but I don't think in the long run, the waste is the solution. Yeah. But see, I mean, it's, yeah, like you said, it's a game of collisions and sometimes collisions are no one's fault. That doesn't mean someone has to go to the bin, right? And I, and, and I looked at it last year, the, the one that's, there was a couple of them that were similar, but I'm trying to remember, uh, Wallaby fullback played for the Brumbies, uh, Campbell Banks? Yeah, Cameron Banks. Cameron Banks, sorry. And he and he came tearing across. The Reds were down down the right wing. And he came tearing across to make a cover tackle in the corner. And at the last minute, the Reds winger stepped inside him and it meant yeah. they clashed heads. And that yeah. wasn't anything to do. That wasn't anyone's fault. It was a, a guy taking evasive action and another guy trying to make a cover and tackle. And they clashed heads. Now, he was stretched off the field. He was knocked out cold and he got a red card. I mean, for me, that yeah. makes no sense at all. Yeah, uh, that's that's difficult, eh? Uh, and we've seen some elements of that with players jumping in the air to compete for balls and got themselves out of place. And, you know, people have gone down and red cards have happened there too. Uh, I, It's impossible not to have some sort of blanket rule. Because otherwise it makes the referee's job really difficult. And and having those situations where you go, oh, look, are there conditions here that make it so, you know, this player shouldn't have been red carded, did the, did the runner duck in when they were getting tackled or whatever it might be. You've got to look at those little parts. But if there's a head-on-head -head clash, like, it's just difficult to make a decision different each time. So... For me, and I, I don't know whether this makes me a hypocrite for my last comment, but I'm not sure it does. I feel like you do have to have a blanket rule to some degree because it's just really hard to enforce otherwise. You know, if everyone knows that if you clash heads, the card's coming um, and we try to decide whose problem it is, um, then I think that's a fair enough way of approaching it um, because I don't see any other way of doing it that that is easy enough to do and makes it easier on the referees and safer for the players. You know, there are times when you might slip up from the chest and, and hit the head or whatever, and, and that's that's unfortunate. It's not intentional and it should be a yellow or whatever, those those kind of things. But 
it still probably should be a card because you still hit the head. Mm. And and if we we stick with that, then I think that that's right. But I, I just don't know about, you know, these waist high rules and things like that because it just makes it a bit of a fast. Yeah, and it certainly doesn't make life easy when I, I'm just thinking back. Who was it that Sonny, Sonny Bill got done for head highing? Um, during, the lines t- during the lines so because and I, yeah. I don't think it was that tackle but it was a tackle afterwards and we lost someone else to the bin um and the line but the lion's forward was running bent at the waist and it's like well how do you not hit him in the head if he's running head first at you yeah 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 or you know for instance if a player jumps at the last minute and you tackle the player in the air is what happened um in that series as well yeah you know, i think charlie farmawina got a card for that and it's like well what am i supposed to do if the person jumps at the last second this isn't a, a high ball, you know, no. this isn't expected in that moment. It's just messy. And to some degree, we've got to accept that it's messy mm. and just go, okay, blanket rule. You touch the head. Sorry, mate. Tom Banks. It's Tom Banks is the name we were looking for. Found it. Right. Found it. Um, right. Campbell Banks used to play football for the Kings back in about the early 2000s, some, some point. There you go. Yeah, That's Cam- what Cameron Banks probably isn't a person at all. Um, and Marty <laughs> Banks is still playing at a thousand years old. <laughs> Ah, oh, it's banks, 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 banks everywhere. But um, hey, Ross, listen, thanks very much for giving us so much time today, mate. Uh, obviously, you're in charge of rugby programming at Sky. So tell us, what has Sky got uh, on the agenda for this coming Super Rugby season? What can we check out? Well, so we've got obviously the breakdown starting um, a big rugby show. It's going really, really well, both um, online and on Sky at the moment. Um, so if you want to check it out, you can check it out on YouTube or you can check it out on Sky. So it's in front of the paywall for people who, who want to catch up with rugby and want to get into rugby. Um, that starts on Sunday with our preview show for uh, Super Rugby Pacific and Super Rugby Opiki, which both obviously starts um, at the same time. Uh, the On the Tuesday, you can catch me, Bryn Hall, James Parsons and the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Put yourself through that. And I think we've got Ricky Swinell joining us to, to talk a little bit of, uh, of Opiki as well for that show. And then we've got a brand new show, which we've been wanting to do for a while. We've, we've got it through this year. It's the women's game. So we're doing a six-week show in and around Super Rugby Opiki about the women's game. First show uh, hosted by Laura McGoldrick. We'll have Ruby Tui and we'll have uh, Black Ferns uh, captain Ruhe Demant as well. So that's going to be super cool. Um, it's a slightly different show, talking about it um, from a women's perspective and also looking at, I suppose, a wider view of sport at the same time. So there will be guests throughout the series from other sports where female rugby players will talk to female footballers, female sailors about the life experience, I suppose, of being a professional athlete and how it's evolving for women in sport and what they have in common, what they don't have in common. So looking at some of the wider conversations rather than just, you know, the rugby, there'll be good analysis, you know, there'll be good action um, and some good conversations around the rugby, but also looking a little bit broader. So those are kind of the key three things kicking off within the rugby space in the next little while. Yeah, cool, man. And uh, we know because he's part of our, our SENZ family here that Smithy's not part of the broadcast anymore. So who's going to be sideline in the big games? Is that have you drawn the short straw? <laughs> you won't be getting me. You won't be getting me, mate. I'll be I'll be back here changing nappies and things. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll be a range of people um, who we have sideline: um, Carlton Anna, Taylor Johnson. Um, you know, we've got a full array, I suppose, of talent that you'll see across the way. You know, we've obviously got Jeff Wilson, and we've got Justin Marshall, and you know, TJ and Ms. Bow in the commentary. But you know, we've got a range of people, honey. 
Itami Smiler, Ruby Tui, um, you know, Ricky Swinell. We, we've got a, a good wide range of, of interesting talent who know their footy, Chelsea Semple. Um, so you'll see all of them along the way and each game will have slightly different uh, set of callers, I suppose. Um, mm. And yeah, that'll evolve over the next little while. Oh, nice, mate. Well, looking forward to all the programming kicking off and hey, the next Super Rugby season kicking off, which is only, I believe, 10 days away. Yes, it is very close. It's very close. There's a lot of schooling up. I've got to look through all of the squads, figure things out, uh, make it work, and then you know get into the tipping comps and start seeing how we go with that. Yeah, indeed, mate. Well, we've got one at SCNZ, and there's a, a $2,500 package up for grabs, mate. So uh, I think you're eligible. Jump on. Log in. <laughs> I'll, I'll lose, most likely. And about halfway through the season, I'll give up because I'm too far down the table. Uh, you and everybody else that I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Ross, once again, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Uh, let you get back to the boy before he tears the place apart. Yeah, cheers, mate. You have a good night.